You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I already feel it. I already feel it. I already feel it. Wow. Well, Joseph was a little bummed out. Joseph was engaged to a beautiful young girl, and they were disengaged, and all of a sudden she found herself with child. Joseph felt betrayed. Felt like Sancho had come in. <laughs> Seriously. I'm not messing around. Seriously. But he was an honorable man, and he had the right to ridicule his fiancée. But he was an honorable man. He didn't want to put her away publicly. He has walked away from everything. And as he was sleeping, the angel Gabriel came up to him. And he declared something and dropped, dropped something huge upon Joseph. He says, Joseph, he says, this is, was done so that the scriptures may be fulfilled. He says, Mary will bring forth a son, and you, Joseph, shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Wow. What's the reason for the season? Jesus came to this world to erase what Adam had done. Amen? Oh, I can feel it now. I wore my, my favorite sweater. Dear Jesus, it's Christmas. We feel it. We sense it. Lord, there was a time when I was ignorant of who you were, what you were all about, when I thought it was just eggnog and tamales and tequila and a week off from county. Father, what, how different it is now. I know why you came, and we celebrate your birth. We celebrate the incarnation, the advent of your visit to this world. Why? Because you came to save not only the whole world, but this little TJ here. Thank you for your grace and your goodness. May you touch all of us, Father, as we begin our journey, the reasons why you came to this earth. Prepare our hearts now. As we pray for our nation, we pray for each and every person. We pray for our children and their children. We pray for our marriages. We pray, Father, for our single life, and we pray that we will bring you glory and honor. We pray for those, Father, who are still grieving through this season of gloom and doom for them. But I pray that your comfort and peace and serenity and assurance and hope will overwhelm them. And so, Father, may you be with us as we invoke the name of Jesus. Thank you for the, the Gutierrez brothers. Thank you for their music. It's so appropriate for tonight. Bless us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Turn around and say hi to somebody. Gracias. Thank you. Amen. <clears throat> thank you, Gil. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Good tears, brothers. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Amen. Wow. Well, we're going to begin our series. We're going to digress from the book of Luke, and we're going to concentrate on, on the reason for the season. You see that? Jesus is the reason for the season. That sounds very cliche, but a lot of people don't even know why. So what I wanted to do was to give six main reasons why Jesus was sent to this world. 
And the first study tonight is to, the, the reason he came, to restore Adam's transgression. It's so appropriate because if you were here Sunday, we're going to the book of Genesis, correct? And we saw in Genesis there in the, in the, uh, the era of creation, and we see chapter 2 is an age of innocence where Adam and Eve, they're, they have everything. They're content, they're happy, they have fellowship with God, and they're working. He has a wife, and it's just a beautiful relationship. It's Eden, it's paradise. And that paradise was imploded. Sin had come in through deceit. The Bible says that the serpent came and deceived Eve, and God had made a promise. You can eat of any tree you want. That's... That's called choice. You can eat whatever you want except the tree of life. The tree of knowledge, forgive me. As Jesus, Jehovah, he says without mincing words unequivocally, the moment you, you eat of this tree, you will die. Die. And so what happened is in chapter 3, we saw the fall of men. The circumstances is they were ejected. They were expulsed from the Garden of Eden. And there we saw the curse against a serpent and then the charges that God made against the woman and against men, and they were expulsed from the Garden. And one of the great features is that physical death was now introduced to all humanity. And so the six, the six reasons this next Sunday will have... The reason he came was also to destroy him who had the power of death. Then on Wednesday, the, December the 12th, to demonstrate his love. We'll take a break on Thursday. On Thursday, next week, we have the Katinas in concert. It's just a Christmas concert. So I would advise you, all archies, to get here early. Because the people will get aware of it. And they just kind of just want to spend the day here and so forth. And so get here early. And there will be no saving seats, first come, first service. But if all they're going to do is do a whole hour of nothing but worship and do their own presentation of Christmas. So that's next Thursday. And then the following Sunday, we come to the fourth class to save and to redeem sinners. On Wednesday, 12, 19, Jesus came to save the lost and the sick. Amen. And then Sunday, 12, 23rd, to do the will of his Father. And then we have our Christmas Eve on the 24th. One service at 6 o'clock, and that will be joy to the world. The real joy, you'll see that as Jesus says to uh, his disciples, unto this day you have not asked anything in my name. Ask so that your joy may be full. There's a little hint. What is joy so important? It's not happiness, not circumstances. The divine joy, Nehemiah tells us in Nehemiah chapter 8, that the joy of the Lord becomes our strength who wouldn't want strength it's not it's not muscle mass it's your internal constitution that is based on what you know and what you carry in confidence here and what you have in your heart because when you have the peace of god and the peace of 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 god in your mind and in your heart protecting you no matter what comes in life and you know and you know and you know and all know then in life we're going to hit crisis and we need that peace of god and God gives you that joy to continue. It's not stupidness. It's not giggleness. It's not like you smoke a joint and you giggle. That is not that kind of a joy. 
That joy is the, is the ability to pursue in spite of the pain. In other words, to continue going, going forward in spite of the pain, in spite of the grief, in spite of the vacuum that you feel inside. That's the kind of joy that God gives you. The ability to resume life with grief and yet something that keeps you afloat. And that is the joy of the Lord, the peace of God, the hope of God. So it's very important. Now, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Now, what's, what's my motivation in, 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 in for doing this? Well, several. I, I wrote them down, if I may. We'll start with a verse, chapter 5 of Romans. In, in verse 12, but we must read verses 1 through 11. But my motivation, well, it's Christmas season. And it's the birth of Jesus Christ. So because we are currently going to the book of Genesis, uh, we're going through the creation, the age of innocence. Uh, we we're looking at the fall of man. And then we look at chapter 4 and 5 and 6 and 7. And we see the consequences of sin. And then we meet a man by the name of Noah. And he builds an ark. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time there when we get to the ark. Because there's a lot of, conf- not a lot, it's not a lot, not a lot, only a little bit of confusion. I have stated the reason why we, we, we got our name back. We started with the ark a long time ago. It was 25 years. We thought, let's, 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 let's go back to our name. And I really explained that time and time again. But there's always people, why did you change your name? Shut up. We are Calvary Chapel. We always have been. I'm a Chuck Smith disciple. I, I, he, I've never changed. We have never changed. But this is the ark. Symbolic because the ark is a place of hope. Think about it today. Think about it. It's raining today. In California, if it rains five days, we got problems. Just five days. Just four days, we got problems. Forty days. That happened in Houston, you know that. There in Houston at Calvary Chapel, Houston, Pastor Ron Hinn, <laughs> I went there uh, like three days after the, 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 the flood. The whole community was under, under five to seven feet of water. For some reason, the church there at Calvary Chapel there in Houston, it's just like, it's like in a mound hill. And it was the only place where it was not flooded. And people came. Because <laughs> there were water there. People came because there were toilet paper. There were formula. And I was there. You provided some coin for that. That was just, that was just a, a, an example of what happens when there's a crisis. I personally believe that, that in our society, we're going to go through some more darkness. Our culture is going to go through some changes. And people are looking for light. They're looking for truth. They're looking for validity. People are, are dying literally, figuratively, and also spiritually. And when we get to the ark, you'll see that. So, and then from the ark, chapter 8, 9, 10, it takes us to chapter 11, the, the, the Babel Tower, the Tower of Babel. And so then that stops the creation era. And then we get to the patriarchs. We come to, we come to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all his sons. And finally, Joseph in chapter 50 uh, to the end of the book of Genesis. So my intentions is that what I want to do is I want to buttress, I want to create a scaffolding platform, if I may, 
for our congregation so that we can understand our Sunday morning studies in the ever most important book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Also, to educate and to inculcate the young believers the wonder and the marvel of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing when you know what takes place. It was just not serendipity. People say, oh, he was born, he was a good man, he was a righteous man, he was a super rabbi. Yeah, he was a magician, he was a good moral man. That's what we hear. Gandhi was a good man. Martin Luther King was a good man. Cesar Chavez was a good man. But Jesus Christ was more than just a man. And so what's, what's the difference? And we as believers need to know that. I would like to also initiate and spark a personal growth in faith for all of our church members so that we can have a firm biblical foundation regarding the advent of the Savior and the ability to share with others. Even the word advent, I never knew what the word advent meant. The word advent is a Latin word that means coming. So we have the first advent of Christ, and then we have the second advent, which we call the second coming. Jesus came the first time, and we describe it, we sing songs about him, we send cars from each other. But the second coming, ooh, look at the book of Revelation. I've shared this with you. In my mind, I hear metal music, just shred music when he comes. Not a Christmas carol. Oh, way in a manger. Oh, no, 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 no. And the second coming. <laughs> Lord, get ready for it, man. He's coming as a king. He's not coming as a shepherd anymore. He's coming as a judge to judge this world. Us, we're ready to be with him in the name of Jesus. Now you say, well, that's kind of foolish. I know. But that foolishness keeps me going and keeps me alive. Paul the Apostle says, I'm a fool for Jesus Christ. My question is, whose fool are you? That's what I ask. And so it's important for us to understand. Now, one, one, one writer said this. Christmas, of course, is to honor the birth of a meek traveling rabbi from the ancient world. Emperors and governors have come and gone. But is this man Jesus, whose Jewish teacher we still celebrate 2,000 years? Even the most cynical pagan and non-Christian consider Jesus as a good moral teacher. Human history cannot suppress, deny the fact that this man, the last Adam, changed the world. Jesus had had more impact on the world than any person in history. Not only have you had the opportunity, I, I am blessed to have that opportunity to, to have watched uh, George H.W. Bush's memorial. How many watched that? What a moving presentation of a wonderful legacy. It isn't until someone dies that we start talking nice about them, right? And a lot of people exaggerate to, oh, she was a nice lady, you know? And we all say, no, she wasn't. <laughs> we, we exaggerate. But as the sun said today, one day the history books will open and they will declare who my daddy was. The integrity spoken by so many people. And I really knew about that. He took the rap. When President Nixon was at fault, George Sr., H.W., went up to Nixon as a congressman and asked Nixon point face to face. He says, tell me, are you guilty? And Nixon lied to him. He goes, 
George, I have not, I'm not, I have done nothing. And he gave him his word. I'll vouch for you. And he went all over the country saying, he's my friend. He would never do that. He would never do that. Richard Nixon would never do that. And Richard Nixon did. And instead of him defending himself, he just took it. Took it. See, that's where I get my philosophy from, from people like him. When someone accuses of something you didn't do, leave him alone. God, time, and truth will always vindicate you. Now, if you are guilty, you're going to get caught. But if you're not, God, time, and truth will always vindicate you. Psalm 26. And so, if this man, former President George H.W. Bush, had such a stellar legacy 200 years from now, like I can tell you heroes like him from our own history, 250 years ago, I can tell you heroes from the Civil War. I can tell you heroes of World War II, and we don't even know who they are. And yet this man, 2,000 years ago, here we are. The whole world is celebrating his birth. Why? Who is he? He changed the world as we know it. Human value, he, brought, he changed marriage and family, women, children, neighbors, strangers, foreigners, slaves in society. There was a moral transformation that's still happening today. There were people last Sunday that received the Lord as Lord and Savior. And when the lady came up to me with tears in her eyes, she said, What is it that I feel inside of me that I don't feel this thing? I came into the church with so much pain. And the moment I received Jesus, he said, something happened in me. If you understand that, you know what I'm saying. And that's what God does today. A man who supposedly had been dead, a man in history, and yet he's still changing lives. What is the re- Why did he come? There are many reasons. But another value that he changed the world is the ability to have compassion. The Christians, you should know, Christians were the first ones to build orphanages, leper colonies, hospital, children, outreach, poverty, soup kitchen. The Christians are always the first to show compassion. Jesus has changed the whole world. But the Bible declares that the birth of Christ was not an ordinary birth of an ordinary man. I mean, when you look at the Christmas story, I read to you from Matthew, from Matthew 121. It says, for today a Savior has been born in Bethlehem. He was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. He was called the Son of God. He was called the Christ, the Messiah. He was called the King of the Jews. He was called a Savior. We, the Bible says that his birth was according to, to, the, to the prophetic utterances of the prophets, specifically Isaiah. That the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. It was the birth of the most unique person in the world. What happened? Well, why is he so elevated? What, what is one of the reasons? You see, we left top Sunday 
with a curse, didn't we? They were expulsed. Adam and Eve were expulsed. And all hell broke loose. Violence. You don't believe me? We read Genesis chapter 4. Two brothers, blood brothers, and one kills the other. There you see the tragedy and the consequences of what sin does. So we see that, that something happened to humanity, and Paul the apostle very eloquently uses that as the doctrine to say, this is what Adam did. Why are you angry all the time? Look at what Adam did. Why do you hate? This is what Adam did. Why do you sniff glue and you're not content with life? This is what Adam did. This is why you are racist? This is what Adam did. See, Adam brought in sin, and he contaminated the whole world. Romans chapter 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is... There it is. Theologically, that's what it is. So the Bible says that he came to save. But wait a minute. If God is the one that condemned Adam, the only one that can save man from sin has to be God. There's no other way. So we come to a beautiful Latin word. It's not a biblical word, but it comes from the Latin, from the Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 14. There in the Gospel of John chapter 1, 14 says, And the word became flesh and lived among us. John says, And we beheld the glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When you read that in Latin, it's called incarnatio, encarne, and we call that the incarnation, the union of divinity and humanity in Jesus Christ. Again, it is used as a theological term referring to the embodiment of God in Jesus Christ the Lord. It was an act of grace whereby Christ took our human nature into human union with his divine person, and he became a man. Why is that so important? Because he has to feel what you and I feel. He cries. He sweats. He labors, he fears, he sweats, he's fatigued, he's sorrowful, he understands us. We sing that song, he knows every sigh, he knows every tear that falls from your eyes. How intimate, how does he know that? The Bible says that he knows our hearts. But not only that, but the Bible says that he came as God to save us. Do you see? The word Savior, what is the word Savior? If you put the word Savior, if I'm in a, in a, in a public swimming pool, and all of you are swimming, and I have red shorts, and, you know, I blow you away with my body, you're right? <laughs> but I'll put a T-shirt, so, you know. But I'll put a yellow T-shirt. And I'll put here, life or lifesaver. Yeah, I like that better. I was going to say lifeguard, but lifesaver is better. Lifesaver, old school, 1930s, lifesaver. So my job is to make sure that you're having fun, but if, if you are drowning, my job is I'm a savior. I'm going to save you from imminent danger or potential lethal death. That's my job. Therefore, I'm a savior. 
That's what it means, a savior. So if Jesus was, was a savior, the angel told the shepherds, unto you a savior has been born in the city of David. A savior in the Old Testament was someone who will deliver you from a crisis Someone was able to, to relieve you, to rescue you from any pain, any aggression, any difficulty. He will be a deliverer, a rescuer. He will be a savior. He saved me from imminent death, and that was a savior. But the question is, salvation from what? What does he save us from? Scripturally, particularly in the New Testament, it extends salvation to include deliverance from the penalty and the power of sin. For the wages of sin is death. That was Adam's stuff. Last Adam, Jesus, according to Romans chapter 5 in 1 Corinthians 15, what, what Jesus did, instead of condemning us, he brought us forgiveness. Instead of death, he gave us eternity. Instead of damnation, he gave us forgiveness. So you'll see here now, we begin with verse 1 of chapter 5 because there in chapter 5, uh, uh, there's the word therefore. I tell you what therefore is for there. In chapter 4, he says that we as believers, we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Again, what is justification? Not guilty. Not guilty. Based on what? Good people? Nope. Uh, because we, we are Jewish people in circumcised? Nope. Because we keep the law? Nope. Why? Faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. So in chapter 5, he says, Therefore, having been justified through Jesus Christ, now look at how many circle, how many words you can find of Christmas words. Like when you get a Christmas card and they have a little saying, you have such words like what word? What word would you find? Joy, what else? Peace, no, but I'm number one. Goodwill, love, light. Look at from verses 5 through 11. Circle how many words are Christmassy words. Also, I want you to look at a key word. The word through. 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 Through is an access or the ability by way of someone or something. Like if I tell you, listen, we have free food only on this door only. If you go that door and this door to your left, there's no food. So if you want to get food, you must go through that door. There's other exits, but there's no food. God bless you, love you, bye-bye, thank you. But only through that door. So through is an access. Look at the through, how many words you find through, 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 through. And you're going to find Christmas words, okay? Here we go. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we Christians have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in what? In hope of the glory of God. And now notice how excited Paul gets. And not only that, eh? But we also glory in tribulations. Why? 
Because I know that tribulation will produce perseverance, eh? And then perseverance will have another result, will be character. And then character has another discipline and another product called hope. Now hope does not disappoint. Why? Here we go. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the who? The ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone will even dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love towards us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now notice the excitement. Much more than, even more, having now been what? Justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, Paul says, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And notice the excitement again. And not only that, but we also what? Rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the what? Key word there, reconciliation. What's reconciliation? Putting two former enemies together. Sin was what destroyed fellowship between God and man. And we had been separated from him. And Jesus came to gather the hand of humanity and the hand of God and made peace through him and by him and with him. Now, Paul is now, he's going to explain to us now for the wages of sin. When we speak of sin, when we think of death, clinically, scientifically, it's a failure of organs or the cessation of, of vitality of organs scientifically. The, the finality of cellular cell activity, things like that. That's scientific. And it's supposed to be a normal event. Listen, there's too many funerals right, to tell you that's not a natural event. Even people, they have loved ones. They're born again. They love Jesus. They died. They're still paying. And please be careful how you use those, those, those scriptures, cliched stuff like, you know, he's in a better place. We know that, fool. We know that. Still hurts. Oh, you know, after all, there's no more pain. That's, that's true. I know that. You know, old things are for good. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Ooh, I feel better now. Thank you so much. My wife experienced the death of her brother on Thanksgiving. <laughs> but some people say, I know they mean well, but they're out of touch. They're out of touch. Are we to say that as Christians, we don't, we don't have no, no feelings, emotions? I mean, they're very cold. But death is not normal. It's not It's abnormal. That's what made Jesus cry in John chapter 11. Jesus wept because he saw what death does. So if sin kills us, then what is sin? Very simple. 
actions by which humans rebel against God, they miss his purpose for their life and surrender to the power of evil rather than to God. Now, why do we have that? We're born with it. I shared with you Sunday that you may have a baby, but it's a baby so innocent, so nicely, but he's a viper in diaper. <laughs> that, little, that little thing pretty soon, age 11, 10 years old, 10, 12, he starts, starts to get acting crazy. First, he said, oh, say something. Oh, come on, let's walk. And after he gets older, oh, sit down and shut up. <laughs> Very sad. So what is the consequences of sin? We share that. If you were not here, and if, the only reason I'm repeating it, because some of you were not, how many were not here Sunday? Raise your hand. Okay, see, that's why I want to share. So if you were Sunday, I'll say, I already said that, eh? I know. But the reason I'm saying is because other people were not here, and the consequences of sin, you know, separation from God. Death was introduced. Guilt and condemnation was introduced. When Adam and Eve fell, they were hiding, and they had shame, and they were fearful. Three elements that happens even today when people walk on their own without the comfort of divine light. When they do things out of the emotions of their own heart, they do it ignorantly. As Paul says in Romans chapter 7, you know, I know what I'm doing is wrong. I just don't know how to stop. And the things I know I should stop, I can't do it. I keep doing them. He says, I don't understand why. And Paul comes to the conclusion, I know why. Because sin is in me. It is not I who want to, but sin is a master over me. And sin dictates me to do those things that bring guilt and shame and condemnation. And when people are feeling overwhelmed with shame and condemnation and fear and regret... Four pillars that cause you so much stress and so much vexing of your heart. And when you cannot take that, there are ways to alleviate. We self-medicate and we take drugs and we take alcohol to calm and to mellow out because the pain is unbearable and it's too expensive to go see a therapist. And people medicate themselves. And that's a problem that we have in our society. And once they start medicating themselves, it begins to break down the family. And then you have dysfunction. Not only do you have home dysfunction, but you have now social dysfunction. And then you have societal dysfunction. And then we have not only moral vices, but we have social vices. Theft, robbery, and murder, mayhem, destruction. And all this, and people say, well, the crime says, oh, because people are poor. That's true. People don't have opportunities. That's true. People don't have education. That's true, but that's not the bottom line. The bottom line is that when people, people receive the Lord in a poor neighborhood, they are transformed. When people live in a dejected poverty, abject poverty, they come to Jesus Christ, they're transformed. I have been to places where we go in Mexico, in, Costa, in, uh, in Central America, where we go and we go to homes and their, their floor is dirt. To prevent the dirt, they put kerosene over it. They stomp it and they make, it, they make the dirt shine with kerosene. And when you walk in there, the house smells like kerosene, but there's no dust. It's packed. It's like wax. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Yeah. And we go in there and they're poor. 
And all they have is, is a clay pot with beans. And they have what they call a comal, which is a grill. And they have this, this wood. And they're so embarrassed, that's, that's all we have. And I'm thinking, shh, it's five ninety five for a bean and cheese over here. Good stuff, man. And they're happy. Speaking in their natural language, they got to whittle. They take out what the, and they have a translator, who is in Spanish. And then the Spanish guy translates. I have to Spanish the, the, the Spanish guy. It's the Nahuatl English. I mean, the Nahuatl language. And there's a Mexican who speaks both languages. So he tells me in Spanish, and I tell in English to our partners what they're saying. And to sit there in abject poverty. And yet they have the joy of the Lord. It's an amazing thing. So Jesus came to, to remove all that guilt. And Paul the Apostle says, For all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So now in, in verse 12 we see this. Therefore, just as through one man enter the world and death through sin. We got to stop there. Who is he speaking about? Who? Adam. Very good. Just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to what? To all men, because all sin. So then in verse, 10, in verse 13, he brings a clarification. People thought you died because you're violating the law. And Paul the Apostle used to be a lawyer. He was a, a handler of the law of God. So he knows what he's talking about. So he says in verse 13, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, 14, death reigned from Adam to who? So Moses wrote the law. So the point of, of Paul says, listen, you don't die because you've, you, 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 you defy the law. He says people were dying before the law was written, and the law was written by Moses, dictated by God, of course. And so Paul's point is that death has ruled. Death has killed people, even people that were good people, people that never failed the law, they still die. His point, the wages of sin is death. It's not the law. It was misappropriated guilt. When he said the reason you're dying is because you're not obeying the law. And Paul says it's not that. If that's the case, we're all going to die because we all disobey the law. No one keeps the law. And he says people were dying from the time, from the time of Abraham. He says all the way from Adam. He says all the way to, to, to Moses. And then he says, verse 15. I like to circle all my... No, I better say it there carefully. The word but, <laughs> I like to circle all the buts. Because but is like a contrast. You know, I, you know, I, you know, I, I, I like Mexican food, but. <clears throat> and they're always, it's an exception, it's a contrast. So he says in verse 15, but. The free what? The free gift. It's not like the offense. So we stop that. And all of a sudden, we're introduced to this word gift. 
you see it several times. The gift. Here the gift is not necessarily a present. The gift is an outcome. So Adam presented a gift. That gift was a gift of death. That gift was a death. It was a gift of desperation, of sorrow, or pain, and condemnation. But Jesus comes with a better gift. And you see the contrast between Adam, and as Paul calls him in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus, the last Adam. You see the difference. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, the word offense being sin, for if by the one man's sin many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. So here we see that Jesus came not only to deliver us from sin, but to save us from that damnation from that condemnation of guilt to remove the penalty of sin. Salvation from what? From sin. I wrote this down in, 19, in 1989. I still wrote it. One day I was thinking, what did he save me from? These are my own words. These are not from, from anybody. This is, not, this is my, own, my own life. Sometimes I have to read it once in a while to remind me. I was saved from the curse of humanity. I was separated from divine guidance. I was alienated from God's presence. Thus, moral parameters were non-existent. I had a life of chaos, a life in the grip sin. No more paralyzing phobic fear of the grave from the sentence of death and gloom from the curse of condemnation, from the tyranny of guilt and shame, from the mental anguish as a result of an undefiled and blemished conscience, from the torture of psychological anguish of loneliness and emotional grief. I was free from the oppression of darkness and ignorance, from the enmity and hate against God and His righteousness and His Word, from the power of Satan, from fear of the unknown, from the torment and destruction of human pride, from the addictive slavery and slow death of drug abuse, alcohol, and other chemical dependencies, and the painful anguish it produces to all family members, from self-tortures produced from hate, bitterness, envy, resentment, loneliness, despondency, fears, and emptiness, from the always shocking, violent human behavior, from the miserable clutches of family dysfunction, along with domestic abuse, family trauma, and chaos, leaving permanent psychic injuries, mental scars, unable to be healed, left alone, forgotten. That's what God saved me from. And I had to remind myself, because these were the effects of the fall. There was a loss of righteousness. Man was alienated. Man was now left to physical dissolution, the cessation of life. He began to, to die as he was separated from God. Humanity and the environment was cursed, and then physical death, why? It was introduced. Literally, from the Bible, from chapter 3, verses 15, all the way to Revelation chapter 20, the Bible deals seriously with sin and its wages. And so what we see here in a moment, we're going to see that both men, Jesus and Adam, they both left 
a universal legacy for all humanity. We have received the gift of Adam. Thank you, Adam, very much. That's why I have no hair. <laughs> Thank you, Adam. This is why I'm getting shorter. I used to be 5'7", man. Last week, two weeks ago, I went to the doctor, and they measured me. How, how tall are you? Oh, I'm 5'7". Okay, step over here. And they put me back. He goes, you're, all, you're almost 5'6". <laughs> oh, you laugh. That's not a laughing thing. What are you laughing at? I sit there with my little bathrobe holding on. What? <laughs> what happened? That's what happens. He says, we shrink. I know we shrink. Don't tell me that, eh? <laughs> Thank you, Adam. Thank you very much. How come I still hate people in my heart, people that hurt me in the past? How come I'm not able to forget? You have people like that in your life? Oh, everybody's quiet. No, we're not. <laughs> you got to check your heart, man. Listen, I ask God to give me compassion for people that messed with me in the past. Since I was 11 years old, all the way, even to ministry, people, when I see them, I said, thank God in heaven, we will remember nothing. Because, but right now, we're not in heaven. We're in East L.A. But I'm supposed to be heavenly minded. I know better. And I'm thinking, why, Lord? Why do I feel this? Why do I feel that? Adam's sin. We're still cursed by it. We're not going to be perfect. If you think you're perfect, and then there's no, need to, no, there's no reason for us to have God and the Holy Spirit in us. If you're perfect, we are being transformed. We, day to day, we are being transformed. We are being renewed. And so we see that both men left the universal legacy of all humanity. Secondly, the actions of both men produced great ramifications towards the human race. One led to the human race to their death. The other led it to eternal life. One produced condemnation, which means doom, punishment, damnation, and destruction, and the other brought forth justification. One was disobedient, the other was obedient. One brought forth a trespass, an offense, the other brought forth a gift, a free gift. Six times we'll see that here. One produced sinners, and sin reigned in their lives up to their final deaths. The other produced righteousness and grace reigning in their lives and continuing into everlasting life. So here we see in verse 16, he says, And the gift is not like the one which came from the one who sinned. That's Adam. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in what? Condemnation. But, circle that. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in what? No, no, listen. Not, not guilty. I love that word. Verse 17, for if by the one man's offense, Adam, death reigned or control royally through that one, much more those who receive, what? Abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through who? Through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, here's the application. Therefore, 
as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, all humanity, resulting in what? In condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to who? All men, resulting in what? Not guilty. For as by one man's disobedience, as Adam, many were made what? Sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Since the law came in and, and the offense of death was even greater. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that sin, so, at, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness, through eternal life, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? When you hear any Christmas music this year, when you say, why was Jesus? Why did he come? You can forget theology. And you can say, he, he saved us from the wrath of death. Period. What happened? You see, death was introduced through Adam. And God came in the flesh to absorb the penalty of death. That through death, we will be justified, not guilty. And to give us the free gift of life. That's what Christmas is all about. That's why we exchange gifts, ladies and gentlemen, during Christmas, to symbolize the free gift that God has given us. If I was to give you a gift and say, but, but you know, you got to pay taxes on that. That's not a free gift. If you give me a coupon for, for jack-in-the-box tacos, he says, you know what, you can get you know, six for $2, but, you know, but it's 50 cents, so you know, I'll charge you 50 cents for them. That's, that's not a gift. See, when God gives you a gift, he gives you a gift. Whether you receive it or not, it's up to you. Well, what's in it? Nothing. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Not guilty. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Poncho Juarez. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Poncho's teaching ministry by visiting thearcmontebello.com.